bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. Jesus said, the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the only Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved our neighbor, our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are heartily sorry, and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world. Evermore give us this bread, that he may live in us and we in him, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The unfaithfulness of God's people leads to their exile in Babylon. At the end of 70 years, however, 
the Lord directs the king of Persia to allow the Israelites to return to their homeland. A reading from the second book of Chronicles. All the leading priests and the people also were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord against his people became so great that there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of Chaldeans, who killed their youth with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young men or young women, the aged or the feeble. He gave them all into his hand. All the vessels of the house of God, large and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his officials, all these he brought to Babylon. They burned the house of house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all his precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of the Paris, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had made up for its Sabbaths. All the days that it laid desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in fulfillment of the word of Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia so that he sent a herald throughout all his kingdom and also declared in a written edict. Thus says King Cyril of Syria, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. The word of the Lord.
The salvation of Christians comes only through God's free grace. Our response of faith enables us to lead lives of good works. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make them sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, all 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. 
when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. The week before last, a group of us from the cathedral traveled to New York for a conference on children's ministry and advocacy that was held at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. We took with us four young people from this congregation who saw that cathedral and this cathedral and could see a pretty distinct difference. Having the young people along with us was really uh, one of the things that made this journey very special. One of the first sessions of the conference involved a so-called panel discussion, although discussion is not the right word for it. There were nine people sitting on a, behind a table on a stage talking to us, and each in turn was sharing something of their understanding, their insights into children and to children's ministry. The young people that we had brought along with us were getting increasingly bored as these folks talked. It was sort of one long homily after the other. Then it came time for the only young person who was on the panel to speak. Immediately I noticed that some of our young people <laughs> became very attentive, the boys, because she was a very attractive young lady. She introduced herself, she said her name was Kate and she was a freshman at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And she began to talk about her high school experience, how she had been a very happy high school student. She was a member of the school chorus. She fell in love, I counted several times, and she was getting ready for her college experience. And then one day, all of that changed. Two young boys whom she knew burst into the school and in a rampage of hate and gunfire began to shoot other students. And neither Kate nor Columbine High School, nor for that matter any of the rest of us, would ever be quite the same again. She talked about that experience and she said that to this day she has a hard time sleeping because she wakes up afraid that Eric and Dylan will be standing behind her. She said that her own church, the Episcopal church that her family attended, had been of little or no support or help to her and her family through this ordeal. And then she began to weep and there was a moment of awkward silence and the microphone was taken from her and passed to the next adult who was to speak. 
And for the better part of the next hour, we heard adults talking about the crisis and the problems that children face in our society. And not a single one paused to acknowledge the hurt that Kate had just expressed, nor the courage that she had displayed in sharing her story with a group of strangers. They just simply went on, not because they're mean, not because they wanted to hurt anyone, but I think they just felt awkward and uncomfortable. And so they went on talking about children's ministries, not listening to a young person who had a very important story to tell. It seems to me that one of the most hurtful things that we ever do to one another is to overlook or ignore or dismiss what someone else has to say to us. I mean, think about it for just a moment. If you're in a, even if you're in a disagreement or an argument with someone close to you, at least that means you're being engaged. That person cares about what you have to say. There is some honoring of your point of view in that. But if we just dismiss them and say, your point of view doesn't matter to me, that's probably the most hurtful thing that any of us could do. And I was afraid at that moment, frankly, I was a little heartsick that we had once again failed Kate in that moment. It seems to me that we have a tendency to dismiss other people, especially people whose lives are somewhat distant from our own. If their lives are on the margins of our lives, we have a tendency not to want to hear what they have to say. And that applies, it seems to me, to the very young and to the very old, to the poor and those who are uneducated, to people who live with addictions and people who live with mental illness, to people who live, who come from different lands and speak different languages, to people who live different lifestyles and have a different orientation than our own. Somehow we can overlook and dismiss what they have to say to us. And isn't that one of the most hurtful things that we could possibly do to anyone? And then as I thought about this, I got to thinking, well, we do that to ourselves. There are parts of who we are that we dismiss and overlook. Some of the most basic needs that any of us have, the need to be loved, to be recognized, the need for someone to listen to us and to really hear what we have to say. That's fundamental to who we are. And yet we say, oh well, it's really not that important. Yes, it is. It's extraordinarily important that we be heard. We have a tendency, I think, among some of us to all too easily dismiss our own ideas, our own passions, and our own dreams as if they're not really important because they're only ours. What a sad thing that is. And of course, we have a tendency so often to diminish and discount our own gifts, the stuff that we bring, the talents and the energies and the creativity that we bring somehow doesn't seem quite as important as what everyone else has to offer. It's a very hurtful thing to discount what other people have to say, and it's an equally hurtful thing to do the same thing to ourselves. This leads us, I'm sure you've already assumed, to the gospel for today. 
it was easy to overlook the gift. After all, the gift that became the material for the miracle came from a child. How easy to overlook the child, and the gift itself was so insignificant. A couple of fish and barley loaves, fish the size that would probably fit in the palm of our hand, and barley loaves, barley is the food of the poor. How easy it is to overlook that gift. Philip and the other disciples say, send them away, there's nothing we can do, this is too little. Let's not pay any attention to this gift. Andrew says, wait a minute. It's not enough, but Andrew, and here's the thing, Andrew refuses to judge it. He refuses to be the one who passes judgment and says it's not enough. He says, it's very little, but let's, let's take it to Jesus. Let's offer it to him and see if he cannot do more with it than we could ever imagine. Andrew simply allows the gift to be offered. He honors the gift and he honors the giver. One of the basic questions I'd like for all of us to think about this morning is, where are you? Are you Philip? The other disciples saying, oh, that's not much. Don't worry about it. We don't need that. Or are you Andrew, ready to listen, to accept the gifts that other people have to offer and the gifts that you have to offer, and be willing to present those gifts to Jesus, trusting that it's Jesus who knows how to use them and will use them in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. I had a chance the next day at this conference to be in a much more personal contact with this young lady, just a few of us sitting in a group, and I had a chance to listen, really listen, to what she had to say. She talked about that day, and she talked about how she could hear gunshots followed by the two boys laughing as if they were playing a game. She talked about how she, along with 49 other students, spent five and a half hours hiding in the teacher's office, jammed in there, some crying and some fainting, and all afraid that if anyone cried too loud, the, gun, the gunman would find out where they were and come to get them. They took the teacher's desk and stood it on its end and barricaded it up against the door. They sat there jammed in for five and a half hours not knowing what was happening outside. They urinated in the coffee pots because they had no other place to go. When finally she got out of that room, she saw the body of a friend and in, she said, I remember this vividly. She said, it wasn't, the color wasn't gray and it wasn't white, it was the color of dead. And then she stepped over another classmate and got that classmate's blood on her sandals. That's hard stuff to hear and I know it is, but it's what she had to say. When she came out, she talked about a lot of the anger that she had. Anger at the school, anger certainly at Eric and Dylan, first of all, but at the school, at the police, at the church. That kind of anger you have, you know, that sort of floats around because it doesn't know where to land, and so it kind of lands a little bit on everybody. She just didn't know what to do with all of it. And the other thing that she did in this little session was that she shared with us some drawings that she had made. There were three of them. The first, in an almost abstract way. These two dark figures like this, 
hovering above and a group of people clustered beneath them. The two figures very, very dark. And she said, Eric and Dylan, evil, fear. The second drawing was some figure on its knees with its hands outstretched like this. And she said, me, reaching out for somebody to help. And the third drawing showed that group of people gathered here. On the other side was this evil presence. And in the middle was another figure, larger now than the evil, between the group and these others. And she said, protection. The people who love me, my family, the people who stand between me and that which will hurt me. As I heard her story, as I thought about the process of, of doing those drawings and the courage and the grace of being able to tell that to people like me whom she did not know, I thought in, in the telling of it, in the being heard, in somebody saying, we recognize what happened to you, somewhere in the middle of all of that is the beginning of the healing. If we discount that experience, the healing cannot take place, but if we allow it to be offered, somehow God can take it in God's great arms and it can somehow begin to be a place of healing. This is what I believe. I believe that if we offer God the bits and pieces of our lives, the fragments, the broken pieces, the gifts that we have, no matter how humble or how small they are, that God accepts them, honors them, blesses them, and returns them to us as blessing. That's what it means to be a Eucharistic people. That's what we do every single time we gather here for Eucharist. We offer, bless, break, share. And all of us are fed in ways that go beyond anything we could ever imagine. I had the chance, the great privilege, really, of hearing her story. And I can tell you that as painful and as hard as it was for me to hear and for many of you to hear, I'm sure, at some very deep level, I thought of it as a blessing because I thought what an honor that she was willing to share it, first of all. And it awakened and reawakened in me my own determination to be sure to listen to people whose stories make me uncomfortable, to be willing to listen to the dreams and the passions and the ideas of my own heart and not let the Phillips of this world tell me that's just naive idealism, don't worry about that, to pay attention to what God is telling me in my heart. It allows me to somehow acknowledge that the gifts that I have, as small and meager as they are, when offered to God, can be trusted to God and can, can be received as blessing. So I heard her story and now I've shared it with you. And if in some way your heart, your life has been touched, if in some way you feel that you are empowered to be an advocate for people who need an advocate and a voice for people who have no voice, 
And if your life touches some other lives, then the multiplication of the fish and the loaves has happened again. It's happened now in our lives. And the hurt and the longing that was expressed in those pictures can be met with the blessing of healing and hope that God offers to all of us. Amen.